0: Welcome to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on SiriusXM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to SiriusXM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, SiriusXM 129.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to America This Week. I'm Father Sam Sawyer. I'm joined by my colleagues Tim Reedy and Olga Segura. And on the phone, we're speaking with Anna Keating uh, about her recent article uh, published on April 20th on our website and in the April 30th uh, issue of our magazine about her, um, her experience of growing up with a friend who had cystic fibrosis and the way it has influenced both her life, um, the life of the friend, and also Anna's life herself. So that article is available at americamagazine.org slash Sirius.
2: Maybe you could just begin by um, introducing you know the your friend who who plays uh, you know the kind of the leading role in this story.
0: Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Um, I decided to write this piece because of Jin Gan's piece. Um, She describes um, suing her medical providers for what's called wrongful birth uh, because they missed a prenatal diagnosis of cystic fibrosis. So basically she wants a court to say that her son shouldn't have been born, shouldn't have been allowed to be born because he has this really terrible disease. And um, I have experience with this disease, albeit secondhand, because uh, one of my best friends growing up, Uh, and her sister are both now in their 30s and living with cystic fibrosis. So when I read Gan's piece, it made me sad uh, because she was saying that these people should not be allowed to live, that their lives are full of so much suffering um, that we shouldn't allow them to be born. Um, But I'd had a very different experience um, with this family with two of their three children uh, living with this disease.
2: Well, um, so the, um, again, the story was in our, uh, well, it appeared online on April 20th. Um, so uh, how did, you know, growing up with, uh, your friend and, you know, you talk about the influence it had in your life. Maybe you can talk a bit about what it was like to, you know, it was just a friend of yours, but obviously she, you know, she had some uh, medical issues. She had to, to, some challenges in her life.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, cystic Roses is a respiratory illness, so it infected every part of her life, Um, but if you knew Libby, and I wish she could be on the show because she's an incredible person, um, you would see that her life is full of so much joy. I was friends with Libby and her family, um, not because I was, you know, going to learn some lessons from them. (laughs) That just happened to happen. I was friends with them because their house was so full of joy, and they lived with a great intention um, to live every single day, so uh, if you can imagine having two children who are diagnosed at birth with a, with a disease, which at the time they were told that they had a 50-50 chance of living to the age of 18. So nothing more challenging than something like that um, for any parent. Um, and Libby's parents are really my heroes uh, because what they did with that information, besides, you know, um, get their kids really great health care, is just create this community of love and support around their children and live the, whatever amount of time they had to the fullest. And so Libby's parents um, taught me how to fish and to water ski. And we had lemonade stands and wrote plays. And it was just a very um, joyful and intentional kind of life. Um, Libby says of her parents that they said, yes, you're living with this disease, but you're living with this disease. And I think I'm a mom that gives me a lot of courage um, to think that I could have that experience with someone who had had this terrible diagnosis and yet has had and is having such a full and rich and meaningful life, in some ways a more meaningful life, uh, because she's lived it with such intention. Libby is a speech pathologist, and she's adopted two children. Um, She's married. She has lived a very loving life, um, a life in service of others.
1: And I wonder if I could ask you because I it, I don't believe it's something you address in the article, but um, you know, at what point in your friendship did you did you know that that Libby had cystic fibrosis? And do you remember how it was explained to you early on?
0: I always knew that Libby had cystic fibrosis because um, she was so diligent about her and so responsible, even as a child, about her treatments. Mm-hmm. So when she was having a nebulizer treatment, we would watch a cartoon, or if she came over for dinner at my family's house, um, she would bring her baggie of enzyme pills because cystic fibrosis also affects digestion. Um, But one of the things about Libby or about having an encounter with a person who has a disease is that she never was her diagnosis. It was a part of her life, a big part of her life. Um, She had hospitalizations frequently, um, and yet it wasn't who she was, Libby was fun and funny and a joyful, big personality. Um, and I think sometimes when we get these prenatal diagnoses, we see the, the diagnosis as who the person is, as, a, as opposed to it being a part of their story. Libby says that um, in the interview. And I think that Libby really embodies that.
1: Right. I think that's something that comes across powerfully in your own writing about her as well, that, you know, Libby is Libby first and um, your friendship is with Libby, not with Libby with cystic fibrosis, right? Like, that's not the, that's not the story of this friendship here.
0: That's right. Um, we can't reduce human beings to their diagnoses. And when we take an entire group of people out of the population because of a genetic Disease or uh, disability, uh, we don't ever get to encounter them in our day to day life. So we think of these choices that we make as private and personal. One family decides not to carry a pregnancy to term because of a prenatal diagnosis. 94% of families with a prenatal diagnosis of cystic fibrosis um, end up terminating the pregnancy. So we think of that as a private decision that affects that individual family. But I think it really affects our entire culture because as we don't encounter people living with these diseases or disabilities, we become more afraid of what that life looks like because we've never experienced it, we've never encountered it, we've never seen um, the resilience and the grace and the courage of people who are living with um, a great deal of suffering and challenge. Um, so growing up in this home that was full of joy and love gave me a different perspective on what a life with cystic fibrosis could look like than I think the author who was grieving her son's diagnosis um, and maybe hadn't had a personal encounter previously um, with someone with CF
1: right and as you point out you know her uh, the author Jen Gann of this uh, New York magazine piece that that you're responding to here um, her grief is understandable right like the the, the Diagnosis is challenging and there would be real suffering, but that doesn't mean that that's the entire story. And, uh, Absolutely. and the fact that our, particularly the way the question has been constructed, you know, this question of wrongful birth, should this person have been, have been allowed to be brought into the world, um, sets it up so that we only see uh, the, the worst possible outcomes and, and sort of squeeze everything else out of our imagination.
0: That's right. I think that Jen Gan's pain is very understandable, and her fear is very understandable. We don't talk about um, eugenics anymore as we did in the 1920s and 30s in this country. We just practice it, and there's a tremendous amount of pressure to have perfect children, um, to have quote-unquote normal children. Um, to have, quote-unquote, a perfect family. And I think we all feel it, and no one wants their child to suffer or experience pain. So it's very understandable, um, her real grief that comes through in the essay. Um, But I think that uh, the solution is not to eliminate suffering people, right? Um, but to create communities of care and loving support. What ends up happening in today's world because of prenatal diagnosis and the availability of abortion for the full 40 weeks of pregnancy is that parents who have um, children with challenges are sometimes isolated and blamed as if they've done something wrong. They haven't prevented this child from having these challenges when, of course, they bear no responsibility. Um, And that comes through in Gan's essay as well, is that she feels that it's somehow her fault. Um, so it's a really, really difficult position um, to live, to parent in a society that doesn't value caretaking and especially doesn't value certain lives or thinks that some lives are more worthy um, of care than others.
1: So, um, yeah, we wanted to bring you back in and uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, your understanding of the way that the, the availability of prenatal diagnosis and the, the assumption of what, kind of children we should want to have um, is impacting the way that communities actually do or don't um, support families that find themselves in these difficult situations.
0: Right. I think it's always difficult to be a parent. Um, I have two kids. It's really difficult. (laughs) It's especially difficult to be a parent of a a child who has any kind of cloud over their existence. Um, But that that journey is made, I think, even more difficult by being the only family on the playground with a child who is different or differently abled um, as more and more of those children are not allowed to be born. Um, and so one of the pieces of Libby's story that I found so moving and courageous is not only is she living with um, cystic fibrosis, but she chose to become an adoptive parent and to welcome two children um Uh, into her family saying that she would accept a child um, even if that child had some kind of special needs because it became personal for her in her own life as someone who had lived with a chronic illness um, to want to be the kind of person who was welcoming and made the world more welcoming for kids um, who might have some kind of challenge. Um, So I think that as we make these private medical decisions, they also have ramifications that we sometimes aren't aware of. for instance, as you know, we've seen with sex-selective abortion in China and India, um, there are unintended consequences. One family is thinking, we'd really love to have a son, and that's all they're thinking. They're not thinking about what might happen to the community, but our decisions about uh, how we live impact other people around us, sometimes in unforeseen ways. And one of those ways, I think, is it makes it a little bit more challenging because there are less people to support one another um, as we no longer see, you know, suffering, illness, interdependence as normal parts of life. Um, we see them as strange or scary um, outliers.
1: Well, one potential example of this, and a story that we've covered uh, a number of times in the last half year or so, has been um, that in Iceland, uh, because of the the near universal use of abortion um, in cases where there's prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome, there there are no people. Be born with Down syndrome anymore. So, um, you know, it it sometimes gets announced as, uh, you know, this is a society that has eliminated Down syndrome. But the reality is, what they've they've eliminated people with Down syndrome, um, which is different.
0: Right. And I think one of the strange things about the moment that we live in, technologically speaking, is that there are these advances in science where people, we have better and more treatments available for people living with chronic illness or disability. People with cystic fibrosis are living longer than ever. There are folks with cystic fibrosis in their 50s and 60s. But even as those advances in science are happening and research are happening, if no one is being allowed to be born with this disease, we won't continue to make progress in its treatment. Um, Libby and her sister are great advocates for people with cystic fibrosis and they've raised a great deal of money for research. Um, But if we just eliminate um, in utero people who have cystic fibrosis, then there's not as much um, value in continuing that research towards how to treat it. Um, and to improve quality of life for folks who, who are living um, with some kind of chronic illness. So lots of unforeseen consequences. And also for all people, right? So people living with cystic fibrosis, are that's a rare exceptional situation, but all people are going to experience suffering or sickness or dependency, even childhood, right? In childhood, you're totally dependent on other people. And if we see that as so negative, um, it has huge consequences for anyone who takes care of another human being. If that is a life not worth living for the caretaker? What does that say about people who are in a caretaking position as well, right? How, how are their lives seen as devalued, et cetera? So there's lots, I think, of unintended consequences um, when we say that someone's life is not worth living or some kind of work, the work of taking care of someone who's sick is not worth doing, um, how that impacts all sorts of people in our society, including parents, um, et cetera. And Anna, (coughs) excuse me, Anna. You get into in your piece the sort of art culture's idea about perfection and sort of the shame attached to that, and how you know we have this idea of what it means to be a perfect parent to have sort of the perfect child. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that contributes to the way we view disabilities, people with disabilities in this country? Sure. I have a two-month-old, so I've recently been through the process of um, having a third child being pregnant and having the fear, the fear is very real, of having something wrong with your child, not only because you love your child and you don't want them to suffer, but also because you don't want to be different from other people or to be less successful, etc. So I think that um, the fear and the anxiety that parents feel is very real. Um, I don't know if that gets to your your question at all, but just this sense that you um, that it would be a moral failing i believe is sort of the way it seems in american culture this kind of predatory culture where there's winners and losers you know Um, and if you're on the wrong side of that equation you're you're no good Um, as opposed to what we learn from christianity where you say everyone has inherent value and dignity no diagnosis can take away your human dignity Um, that sense that human beings have infinite value sounds very strange and can be very difficult to believe in in a culture that is always telling you that you're not good enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not rich enough. Um, It leads to a lot of problems, a lot of despair, and a lot of fear, I think, um, on behalf of parents that their kids have to be these kind of perfect projects. um, And if anything goes wrong, that their lives won't have meaning or value um, when the message from the church is, is just the opposite.
2: I think part of this, too, I mean, uh, uh, and, and I appreciate that in, in this piece, I mean, you have a great deal of empathy for people who are in this position because, you know, a, a young family trying to, you know, just starting their family, you know, for example, without a lot of financial resources, it may be uh, very difficult for them to conceive of how they could ever, you know, even just bringing one child in the world, but a child with disabilities can maybe seem overwhelming to them. So they can seem like they're all alone so how do we as a community because it doesn't just fall on them it falls on us too, to figure out ways that we can be more supportive as a community so that they don't feel like they're in it alone
0: i think that's right i think one of the biggest problems that we all face not just people who have chronic illness is the breakdown of community um, and the breakdown of families and, and communities of care neighborhoods you know, faith communities, and also um, there are partial political solutions, I think, as well. We, we need to have universal health care. Um, we need to have a strong social safety net. We need to make it easier for people to choose to parent and to support those people and to raise them up as the heroic people that they are. Um, Libby's parents are my heroes because they created this beautiful childhood for us in the midst of this incredibly difficult circumstance. And um, we should be lifting up those people and telling their stories, and we should be supporting them in real concrete ways, both with political change um, and in the individual community level of of championing these folks, um, instead of continuing to sort of say, well, you know, you should have had that checked out, why didn't you make a different choice? Um, That kind of judgment is devastating on top of an already challenging situation.
1: Well, and I think one of the things that I really value about your article, Anna, is that you point out that it's how isolating that kind of responsibility is, right? That that comes out of, um, you know, what you call the consumerist notions of choice, efficiency, and convenience. And what that does is it says, you know, the, the decision to bring this child into the world is solely yours, you know, solely the parents or sometimes even solely the mother's. Um, and you're the one that's responsible for it. You're stuck with all the problems, and and it doesn't. There's just no hope in that, um, right? How could anyone oh, right. faced with if if that's actually the way we're setting up the choice? How could anyone ever make make a truly free choice in that moment? But if that's right, if what we have instead of that is the image of Libby's family, which, as you said, you know, built this this glorious childhood. Um, and really celebrated um, the all the possibilities uh, in Libby's life and in her sister's life in a way that taught you to celebrate the possibilities in your own life. You know, that's just that's a much different um, that's a much different context to imagine these choices happening in.
0: Right, Libby talks about um, how wonderful it was to have a sister who also had the disease um, to normalize it. So she had someone who understood what she was going through. Again, community, two parents who were incredible advocates for her care, uh, a neighborhood that loved her, um, faith community that loved her grandparents, right? This is what all people deserve. Um, regardless of whether or not they face illness, um, we all need these networks of care and any kind of social policy that strengthens and encourages, um, healthy neighborhoods, schools, marriages, families is a good thing because it's incredibly difficult to be a parent, especially a parent of a sick child. Um, and, uh, this kind of work needs to be honored instead of treated as, you know, somehow shameful. We don't really value caretaking, you know, and and we blame sick people in America for being sick instead of giving them the care that should be a human right. Anyone who's ever had, you know, a cancer diagnosis or something has met the person on the street who says like, oh, didn't you eat your vegetables or, you know, um, we tend to blame people for being human instead of supporting them and loving them um, because, every single one of us is going to experience hard times. It's not something that we can really um, control.
2: Now, as isolating is, I'm sure, for many parents who have children with disabilities, there are communities out there, and I, you know, um, for those who are listening who might be thinking, okay, how can I connect with those communities? I I imagine, Anna, that, you know, there are places for people who have kids with cystic fibrosis, whether on Facebook or elsewhere, to to have conversations or have kids with Down syndrome. So there, it might be. Take a little doing to find these communities, but I'm confident they exist. So, I guess that's a little ray of hope that there are there are people out there who are making these choices, and there are ways that they can kind of find each other.
0: Yeah, wonderful organizations like the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and other online communities, like you mentioned, that help connect people who are brainstorming how to live full and meaningful lives um, with whatever kind of hardship is included in that absolutely and i think that those are wonderful resources and they can help um be places to give hope to other people who are struggling with similar situations
2: all right well we want to thank again anna keating for joining us the article if you want to look it up is on our website you can find it at americanmagazine.org serious and some of anna's other writing for us anna thanks so much and please give our best to
0: libby thank you so much i will <laughs>
2: all right great well, uh, Sam and Olga. I mean, um, yeah, just a very moving story. I mean, what I'm struck with is that, um, and this is um, true for uh, people in my own life too. When you, you know, have somebody in your life like Libby, you know, it kind of shines through and, and affects so many more people than just this one friendship. Like, right. It's affected us. It's affected our readers. You know, this one person's life. How how much good has it done? It's amazing.
1: Well, and especially, I think the fact that um, one of the things that's brought out in the story is that. Uh, the condition of dependency, you know, of being of, of needing to rely on other people in some way is just rock bottom part and parcel of the human condition. And it's only in these sort of very odd and, and fairly um, fairly constructed moments, right? Like we've had to do a lot of work to set up a cultural system in which we can even temporarily pretend like we're not dependent on other people. Um, but we we try to use that as if that's the the whole story, and when people are actually in a situation of of dependency that we can't you know snap our fingers and get out of, it's like personhood is collapsed or something, and it's I think it's a much healthier, it's certainly a much more Catholic, a much holier uh, way of looking at this to say you know dependency is part and parcel of of the human condition and of human life and it's actually something that ennobles us. It doesn't it doesn't break down our dignity. It's one of the ways that our that our dignity is expressed. And I think what Anna's get is
2: like having people like this in our life services examples of that. Yeah. You know, so that like if it's something that we can't come to understand on our own, having somebody in our life like that makes it very real.
1: Right. And and makes it real you know in preparation for the day when you yourself yes. will be dependent yeah. right. and not able to to do something about it, right? not able to, to rely solely on yourself, which is actually the situation that all of us are in all the time, whether we manage to admit it or not.
2: Right. Uh, well, yeah, very powerful article. I, um, I recommend it to, to all those out there, uh, our listeners, to, to look it up. And, um, and Anna's done some other good writing for us, so look look her up as well. Um, and um, Olga anything else you want to add to this uh, this conversation
0: yeah I think w- what I really appreciate from this piece is that it echoes a lot of what Pope Francis has said when yeah, he talks yeah. about um, how people with disabilities give us the opportunity to grow to grow in love to grow in compassion and to just grow in unity um, and I think it, it's really encouraging to see a piece like this that just wholeheartedly embraces what we hear from Pope Francis and from our church
2: right those pictures that we've uh, that were in our pope francis book uh, and also we often feature of him reaching out to people with disabilities right. um th- that kind of that's th- in a visual form what we're talking about here is reaching out to people to uh you know to to see that tenderness it's something i think uh we all uh, you know it, it speaks to us in a very deep way uh and as john miller you guys were not on the show but he was on the show last week talking about these places that service homes for people with disabilities um these communities small communities and ways that you can help them, you know, for example, going to volunteer and, and offering to, you know, take somebody to a ball game or to a movie or something. These are simple things that, you know, you don't need to be, you just need to be a friend.
1: Right. Well, and, and also, I think, you know, we've um, we've had a number of different folks write about the experience of bringing small children to church. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, th- I think one of the places this is, c- it can be as simple as, you know, how do you respond when you see uh, a squirming, screaming child in the pews, right? Um, it, is your... Is your instinctive response to that to go, oh, they should have been in a cry room, or to you know, to smile at the baby and say, what can I do to help this family feel welcome? I should also
2: let you know that Kat, uh, Anna Keating is the author of the Catholic Catalog, A Field Guide to the Daily Acts That Make Up a Catholic Life. Uh, so you can look that up uh, at, I'm sure, Amazon.com. want to thank you again for joining us this week. Um, I believe Father Matt Malone will be back next week, but meanwhile... Uh, You can subscribe to America by going to 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533. For Olga Segura and Father Sam Soria, this is Tim Reedy. Thank you, and have a good week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on SiriusXM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to SiriusXM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.